more than a spouse, you also have the opportunity to build a lifelong friendship. And, you know, frankly, that's the basis of my relationship with Dina. We started as friends, and eventually somebody at our church, a counselor actually, said, when are you two friends going to turn the corner and be engaged? <laughs> so, oh, wow. that was fast. Well, it, it'd been several months. As soon as you buy me a ring, It's not like buddy. we were out there with PDAs or anything, but we were, it was pretty obvious we were affectionate toward each other. And I, I thought that's a really great affirmation, not because we're all, you know, in romance la-la land, but because he saw a friendship developing into something more. Thank the Lord. It's 37-plus years that we've yeah. been working on that friendship, and it's a great gift. And I tell my just, kids— You were just showing us pictures of yes, you and Yes, oh, those so early sweet. days. I, I tell my kids it is a wonderful gift for you to have somebody um, in your life that can, can know you and love you through anything— that's the level of deep friendship and relationship I have with my spouse. Uh, I'm John Fuller, along with Greg and Aaron Smalley. They lead our marriage team here. And let me go back. I mean, you were seeing pictures of me, but take us back and help us know a little bit of your origin story about how you became friends. Because if I'm not mistaken, it started with a little bit of a hmm, prank. Oh, Aaron <laughs> punked me is more, is more accurate yeah, we, we didn't even know each other, seeing each other around college. We were at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. And Erin, I fell sound asleep in class, and she woke me up. Which is not up. uncommon, but right. she woke you up. She woke me up telling me that the professor just called on me to pray. And so she goats me, prods me into standing up. I pray out loud. Everybody's laughing. I was humiliated. But then I went, man, any girl who is willing to play that sort of mean, cruel, practical joke has got to be worth going out with and pursuing. <laughs> so thus, my pursuit for Aaron began yeah. after that incident. And I always have to defend myself because I was the new girl on campus. And so his friends knew if they asked me to do it, he would never figure it out. Ah. So it was it was not on my own doing. It was with influence from your friends and it's always, mm-hmm. whenever he says, you know, someone who's that cruel, I always go, I was a nursing student. How could I have been so cruel? I cared for people. Well, there's more to all of that story. So when did it start to become something more than just occasional uh, punking you yeah, there, each other? <laughs> the really cool thing was that I became friends with his sister and I actually dated his roommate. So there was no romance between us. We were just great friends. And so often I'd be like, I just enjoy him so much. We had so much fun together. And you were just telling our son's friends about us going to the park to play pickup basketball games. Um, and we would just go do stuff like Aaron that. Has a and just wicked outside shot. So we take on guys routinely and just destroy them. I drive and they would in look and at me. And, and meanwhile, God is knitting your hearts together for, right. the, for the distance. That's awesome. You know, a lot of times, too, we get asked, um, okay, so why get married then? If you guys have that level of friendship, you can just live together. Like, why do you need a piece of paper? Hmm. And I always tell people that there's friendship and then there is almost, I, mean, I hate to use the word, but then there's almost like this, this soulmate. And let me describe what I mean. I think often in marriage, what, what the p- 
potential is, see, mar- marriage is full of risk, any relationship mm-hmm. like that. The moment I open my heart up, the moment I let Aaron really see deeply within me, the risk is, will she still love me? If she could really see the real me, would she still love me? And what's, I think, a beautiful part of marriage is Aaron and I went before the Lord. We stood at the altar. We stood before our friends and family, and we made a commitment to each other, a covenant before the Lord that we were going to uh, be together for a lifetime. What that does is that that creates a level of safety and security that's unlike nowhere else. Mm-hmm. No other relationship can create that. So people are willing then to fully be known. Not not that everybody, not that every married couple gets there, but it creates the opportunity. And that's what I say is one of my favorite things about our friendship within marriage is because of that promise, that covenant, that we're going to be together for a lifetime. I'm really willing to to be fully known, and so mm-hmm. is Aaron. And man, what what a beautiful part of a friendship to be fully known. Yeah, yeah, that's a gift. And um, let's go ahead and hear more about that gift of friendship in your marriage. Uh, we're going to hear from Shanti Feldhahn. She and her husband Jeff are marriage researchers, and they've surveyed thousands of couples in their work. And here's Shanti describing how choosing to see the best in your spouse can help you be better friends. I want to tell you an example of um, a couple that we talked to who did something, and I'm going to ask you to diagnose. I'm going to tell you this little story. I'm going to ask you to diagnose what he was doing. So I would always ask these couples. It was kind of fun, actually, the happy couples. I would always ask them to take me through their last argument, (laughs) their last fight, and hope that, you know, we weren't causing marriage problems when they drove away (laughs) from talking to us. Um, but one of the one of the guys. This was a t- very typical situation. He, he, when we said take us through a last fight, he said, "I'll just tell you something that's happened a few days ago." He had apparently been working really long hours, like 70, 80 hour weeks, because his company was trying to land this um, big deal, this big contract, and he it, it was all culminating. In on Thursday morning at like six o'clock in the morning, he was gonna get on the plane and go to some other city and sign this massive contract. So weeks and weeks and weeks, Thursday morning he was gonna get on a plane. On Wednesday, he had been working so many hours he hadn't had a time to get to the dry cleaners, and so he had no clean shirts for this trip. Um, and so his wife, they had three little kids, and so he called his wife multiple times and said, Look, if, are you sure you're going to be able to get to the dry cleaners? Because if you can't, I can, but I have to because I have no shirts for this trip. And she's like, yes, honey, yes, it's final. And he's like, are you sure? He called her three times to offer three times because he said she could be a little scatterbrained and forget the things and running around with the kids. And she said, no, no, I got it, I got it. He said, I arrived home at 10 o'clock at night to find the dry cleaners was closed and she'd forgotten to get the shirts. And he said, I was so mad. I said, okay, what'd you do? He's like, this is when I always have to diagnose what's going on. He's like, you know, you don't even want to know what I was thinking. I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) I want to know exactly what you're thinking. And so here's what he said he did. He's like, I went stomping downstairs. I was so upset. Apparently he does um, carpentry, like as sort of a a way of like a hobby or whatever. So he said, I went stomping downstairs to my workshop and I'm down there with the pieces of wood and I've got a rubber mallet and I'm pounding in the wood together. And I'm like, okay, what are you thinking? 
And he said, I'm thinking I'm so furious because I asked her three times. And she does this all the time. And he was like explaining this. And then he said, but that's not really fair because I know the kids were sick and the baby was you know, needing to go to the doctor and then she had to stand in line at the pharmacist's office and then have to go all the way across town for the other medicines and, you know, he's going on and on and on. And, and then, you know, she had still had to go to the grocery store and make us dinner and she always makes us dinner no matter what's going on. Every, every night she makes sure to make dinner no matter how late I'm home and she's such a good wife and why am I being such a jerk? Do you see what he did? Diagnose for me, what did he just do? wasn't just that he forgave her. He started thinking about the positive positive to talk himself out of being mad. That's something that we found the happy couples did, not universally, but in huge numbers, that they focused on the things that were good and excellent and lovely and worthy of praise rather than the things that were worthy of driving them crazy. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Philippians 4.8. In the middle of something that was a legitimate concern, they focused on the good things to talk themselves out of being mad. This was, to me, this was a powerful, powerful um, surprise, a powerful mechanism because it is so easy for us when we are upset, legitimately upset and legitimately angry, we can, it's not just that we can stew on something, it's, it's truly that we can talk ourselves further and further and further into being upset about this and further and further and further into hopelessness when instead an answer can be as close as finding the good that is there all along and focusing on that, even though this other thing is still out here, focusing on that thing that's going to change our minds, that's every bit as real as the thing that's driving us crazy. Incredibly important for us to sort of put that type of thinking cap on when we're upset. And the, and the problem is, is when we're upset is when we least want to do that, Right? When we're upset, it's when it's really easy to want to wallow in being upset. So the question is, do you want to wallow or do you want a happy marriage? Because it looks like those two things are mutually exclusive. It's so important for us to focus on the best qualities of our spouse. And I've got to do that with my wife. I've turned the corner on so many things that used to irritate me. I have empathy for and appreciation for things. Um, If I, well, just the other day, Um, she was looking at this outdoor fountain that she has. It's kind of a stainless steel bucket with a fountain. And for the winters here in Colorado, that's not going to last. So she actually went to a a farm supply place and has this heater in in the uh, basin. And we were out there looking at it, and somehow there's a hole in it. And so it's leaking. And about a half hour later, I walked through the kitchen, and she said, oh, I fixed the the fountain. I fixed the the, um, bucket. I said, how? She said, earplugs. I said, earplugs? And yeah, there are these silicone earplugs you can use. She used earplugs to fix a planter. I thought like the old MacGyver. Remember that television show? I would never have thought of that. That is clever. Instead of saying, that's not the right way to fix something like that, I just applauded her. I celebrated that. She was being resourceful, like Proverbs 31 woman. creativity in her, even if it comes up with solutions I wish I had thought of. 
Um, let's go ahead and uh, turn the corner now and hear a little bit more from Shanti about ways her husband Jeff has learned to be grateful in their marriage, um, even when doing so wasn't easy. I'll give you a little example of this. So Jeff, um, we, we have had many marriage issues um, in years past because I am, an, unfortunately, <laughs> in our marriage, I am the messy one and Jeff is the neat one. And so for any of you women out here who are the neat ones and you're frustrated that your husband is messy at times, can I just beg for grace on the part of the messy person in the relationship? Um, because it, it's just not a thing for me. It's just I didn't get that gene. Um, and and I, I hope my mom never sees this video, but like my mom is the most amazing, wonderful human being on the planet, but she didn't know how to keep things neat either, so I never learned it. Literally, when I was 12 years old, we were out walking the neighborhood, and um, we came home to find police cars in front of our home. And another neighbor, a friend, had come over to have a cup of coffee or something and had called the police because she thought our house had been ransacked. (laughs) I never learned how to keep a neat house. And I try. It's not that bad. (laughs) You know, I try. But it would drive Jeff absolutely crazy that I would pile up mail on the island or whatever, or, you know, the kids' Legos and toys would be over the, you know, living room floor, or my shoes would be sitting in the kitchen where they had no right to be, or whatever. And it would just bug him so much. And he would pray and ask God, help me figure out how to deal with this. And then one day, He felt like the Lord said, look at those Legos. Look at those shoes. Look at that mail stacked up on the island. Yeah, that drives you crazy, but that's a sign that you have a wonderful wife who adores you and two little kids who think you are the best thing ever. And you could be living in a perfectly neat, that perfectly neat, pristine apartment back in Boston and be all alone. And how grateful you should be that even though, yeah, this stuff drives you crazy, think about how grateful you are, that that's a sign that you have a wife you prayed for and two little kids that you love and who love you. And he said it completely took away that, <laughs> that malaise, that black cloud of doom that was about that issue. And I would encourage you guys, whatever that issue is that drives you crazy, when you get into an argument, stop yourself the next time and look for those things that are excellent and lovely and worthy of praise and focus on that. You'll find that it actually stops that train of thought even before it gets started. Aaron, that story from Shanti illustrates how just a small shift in our focus can make a big, big difference. So how do you and Greg work on kind of stopping and reminding yourselves about appreciating those best qualities in each other? Um, How do you do that? And how has it helped you in your relationship? For me, I know that it's an intentional pursuit of 
seeing Greg for who he really is. Because there's moments that, of course, there's irritations, hard to believe. When? Irritations or he's feeling distant and I, you know, I feel like I can't connect. And so there's times that, you know, it hurts my heart, but I can always see it through. I I can choose to see it through the lens of I wonder what's going on for Greg over Mm -hmm. there. I wonder what is has happened in his day to day that he's isolated off when he got home tonight that he's not wanting to connect that he's distant and you know just knowing that there must be a reason for it yeah and it's really called giving him the benefit of the doubt yeah there's empathy there instead of judgment right, right. And, I mean you're talking about instead of lacing into him you're trying to understand what's behind all that. Yeah, and it does. It brings a heart of compassion mm-hmm. versus a heart of judgment. That's good. And so that's, I mean, that's doing that intentionally. Another easy way to do this is just to, to really watch what do I appreciate um, about my spouse? And specifically for, for the, the wives that a husband that is affirmed just once a day. So you speak words of affirmation or, you know, something you appreciate about them. Like that, that husband's marriage satisfaction increases dramatically just with one affirmation. And I always Give think, us an example of what that might look like. <laughs> oh, Gosh. What would affirmation sound like? Aaron? You know, what, Greg, I absolutely so appreciate your, your heart for our family around Christmas because Ooh. Greg does so much of the Christmas shopping. And so I so appreciate that you take that and you run with it. And where you need help, you ask and you let me step in. Um, but you even wrap the gifts. I don't even have to worry about that. So there's, you know, one wow. time a year, Greg, when you make an impact and it lasts <laughs> all year long. It carries over to it, Valentine's it just, Day. So I got my one for yeah. the day. So I'm, yeah, I'm, you're done. I'm good. Well, and, and I, I laugh because you're right. Just being around uh, women, like when we gather for a party or something in our home, it just cracks me up the way that, that, that you will greet your female friends. And it's just that instant, oh, I love your hair. Oh, my gosh, where did you get that blouse? Or, oh, I love those shoes. It just She doesn't ask you where you get your no. shoes? No, and we don't ask huh. each other those things either. So, well, as a matter of fact, John I, and I don't say that I asked someone yesterday, where did you get those? And they told me. And I sent Greg a link, and he bought them for me. Oh, nice! It was just just a gift that was so sweet. Well, you're you're just rocking <laughs> it here. Today. I know. Let, let's go ahead and uh, hear now from Pastor Kevin Thompson. Uh, he's a pastor on staff at Bayside Church, which is just outside of Sacramento, California. He tells a really neat story about a couple he knew who had a deep, lasting friendship. Hey, okay, you're a pastor. Uh, you see a pretty wide array of disarray. In couples, if I could say it that way. Um, In fact, you had an older couple, Eugene and Joanne, who had been married for 70 years. I wish I could have met them. Uh, What what an amazing thing to be married 70 years. And what did they tell you was the secret? These are people we should listen to for Mm -hmm. sure. What was their secret for 70 years of marriage? Yeah, Eugene and Joanne, they were both in the military. They never had children. They actually never went to church until in their 70s. Wow. Uh, some some people in our church built a relationship with them. They came, came to know Christ, and uh, just became some of our favorite people uh, around the church at that time. This is about 15 years ago, so our staff was all really young. They never had children, so we kind of adopted them huh. as grandparents. So one day they stopped by to bring me some pumpkin bread. Oh, and good they were friends. talking, and we were having a great <laughs> conversation. Several staff members kind of came in. And then it came time to give me the bread, and neither one of them had it. 
and, and they had a little, little lover's uh, spat at that moment, blaming the other one for not getting it. So Miss Joanne was in, in uh, better shape, so she ran home to get it. And as we were sitting there talking to Mr. Eugene, uh, one of my coworkers said, Mr. Eugene, what's the key to being married 70 years? And without a, a hesitation, he said, tell her every day that you love her. Thought, how beautiful is that? Well, she came back with the pumpkin bread. She walked in and I said, hey, Miss Joanne, we were asking Mr. Eugene, what's the key to being married 70 years? And she said, oh, tell him every day that you love him. But how <laughs> great is that, right? So about six months later, uh, he was in hospice on his deathbed. And mm -hmm. I went to go see him and it was just me and him. And I recounted that story. And I said, Mr. Eugene, is that really the key to marriage? And he goes, yep. Memorizer answers. <laughs> There's probably some truth to that. I thought, how great is that? But unfortunately, marriage can't just be something that you memorize. But there are some very basic principles that I think that go all the way back to God's design of marriage, that sin hasn't changed. And those are the basic roles that you and I are supposed to play as husbands, and then our wives are supposed to play. And we can narrow that down to friends, partners, and lovers. It really is those simple things that can go so far in your marriage, a long, long way. And Greg, you and your team have a wealth of resources to help couples do that. One of those is our free marriage assessment. Go ahead and tell us about that. Yeah, it's exciting that over a million people have completed the assessment. And really what it's trying to do is we wanted to help people take a look at their marriage and, and not just to identify all these things you need to change. It really was built to show you what are your three biggest strengths. So when we understand better that, hey, we're really good at our spiritual relationship or finances or communicate, whatever it is, then we want to continue to really invest in that. So whatever I'm doing well, let me go from good to great even. But then we also want to identify what we call growth areas. So these are areas that, that you might be struggling in. And then what can we actually do about it? The fun part about the assessment is that based on whatever a growth area might look like, so maybe it's conflict, maybe it's sex, communication, time together, um, making decisions as a team, you know, our spiritual relationship. So maybe whatever that growth area is, then we're able to give you customized content so that you can grow and learn in that area. So yeah. it's, just a, it's a great way to go from, hey, I want to improve my marriage to, okay, I know exactly what I'm doing well, and I know exactly what I need to grow in. And then part of this new year, that's what we can do. Focus on maybe one of those growth areas mm -hmm. and say, boy, next year I want to look back and go, oh, man, look how much better we do in our communication yeah. or our conflict, whatever. Well, I appreciate that because as you're speaking, I'm thinking, well, it's been some time since I last took this assessment. I probably should go back if it's been a few years and redo it and see where we're at, because I think we have had some really good growth as a couple. Uh, I'm speaking of, of Dina and me, not you and me. But. <laughs> yeah, and every season's different. And so to go in it like, okay, I've got to figure out what I'm doing wrong, yeah. it's really going, hey, this is a new season. How could we grow in a particular area? Got it. Well, if this ministry has helped you in any way, consider making a one-time gift of any amount to support the work that we do day in, day out for couples literally around the world. And when you do that, uh, make a contribution. We'll say thank you by sending a copy of the book by Gary Thomas. It's called Cherish, the One Word That Changes Everything for Your Marriage. And uh, we're going to have a link in the show notes for ways to donate and get your copy of that book. Next time, how to love your spouse with your words and simple actions. For now, on behalf of Greg and Aaron and the entire team, I'm John Fuller, and this has been the Loving Well Podcast. It's